Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't live a good ghost story, right? Okay, so welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. This is Kat, your host. Joining me today, I only have one of my co-hosts. Haley, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? We wanted to go over our contest again because we have a contest going on. In case anyone hasn't noticed, if you're not following us on social media or you didn't listen to last week's little blurb, we have a contest going on for one of our logo t-shirts. And there are three ways to win. The first way is that you can find any one of our posts about one of our episodes on Instagram and you tag three friends and make a comment and we will enter your name into a drawing. The second way to win is to rate and review us on iTunes or really anywhere that you listen. I know that some of the, I know Spotify doesn't have a place to put reviews, but Podbean does. So any of the places that you listen where you can review, you can review us and take a screenshot of your review and email us at huntinghistorypodcast at gmail.com. Just a screenshot so that we can enter your name and we will enter your name three times in the drawing. Or you can join our Patreon page at any level and your name gets entered in five times, which increases obviously your chance to win. So the contest goes on for the whole month of February. So you can continue to tag three people and comment on any of our Instagrams for the rest of the month. You can rate and review us for the rest of the month and it would just increase your chances. Every time you do, your name gets entered into the drawing. And the first week of March, the first episode that we publish in March, we will announce the winner of the t-shirt. Today, we're going to be talking about the Bennington Triangle. I can almost guarantee you haven't heard of that, Haley. No, I haven't. I came across it. It was, uh, it fascinated me because it has all the things for what our podcast is. It has paranormal. It has uh, missing people. So it has unsolved crime. And it was a long time ago. It was between 1945 and 1950. So it fits our history thing. So it's kind of perplexed by it. I found a ton of stuff to read about it. And some of it's so interesting. You're going to be fascinated by the fact that there's a lot of UFO sightings there too. Oh, really? They reference it the same way that they do the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. But it's a forest area in Vermont. Uh, the, The Bennington Triangle is a nickname given by paranormal author Joseph A. Citro. It's for an area in southwestern Vermont in which at least five or as many as 10 people have disappeared between the years of 1945 and 1950. The stories actually became, began way earlier, some say as early as 1920, when people had issues there where they um, heard voices or noises. There was actually sightings of a Bigfoot there. There's been several of them. People say there's mysterious lights. Uh, the mysterious triangle is centered around the Glastonbury Mountain, and includes some or most of the area of the towns immediately surrounding it, especially Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, and Somerset. Glastonbury and its neighboring township of Somerset were both once moderately thriving logging and industrial towns, but it began to decline toward the end of the 19th century and became what's essentially considered ghost towns. It became unincorporated in 1937. The Bennington Triangle also known as a hotspot for UFO activity, Bigfoot sightings, and strange lights and sounds. Other sources do seem to support that such folklore 
does appear to date as far back as the late 19th century. So in the late 1800s, people were already talking about the area way before people started disappearing. Local townsfolk believe that the Na- um, Native Americans regarded the Glastonbury area as cursed and avoided it, as well as they told stories of hairy wild men and other strange beasts in the woods. The first known mysterious disappearance was November 12, 1945. A local hunting guide, he was 74, his name, and I love this name, Mitty Rivers, mm-hmm. M-I-D-D-I-E, Rivers was guiding a group back to camp. He got ahead of the bunch and was never seen again, like literally just disappeared. Rivers led a party of four hunters around the area of Hell Hollow in the southwest woods of Glastonbury before he was suddenly lost, quote, unquote. After an unsuccessful initial search by the hunters, many still believe that the knowledgeable woodsman would be able to survive and soon would surface in town, that he would just show up again. However, this isn't the case. Soon, more than 300 concerned locals and U.S. Army soldiers dispatched from Massachusetts combed through the vast wilderness for eight days, turning up not one shred of evidence as to the whereabouts of Mitty Rivers. That's I mean, the, the hunters are, um, claim that they saw him walking ahead of him. He turned sort of like in the bend, and then he was gone. Never saw him again. They weren't like 30 minutes behind him. They weren't a couple miles behind him. They were just right behind him. Yeah. And then a year later in 1946, the most investigated and publicized disappearance was that of a girl named Paula Wilson. She was a sophomore at Bennington College in North Bennington, Vermont. She was a typical, this is them, they described her as a typical student and was um, trying to expand her circle of friends and had just discovered hiking she and her roommate were super close and she had asked her roommate to go with her and her roommate couldn't for whatever reason. So she started, she asked a couple other people if they would go and everyone was busy for whatever reason and couldn't go. So she had, she heard she had a job at the college. She worked part time in the dining hall and on Sunday, December 1st, she worked the lunch, the lunch shift. She decided to walk, find and walk a portion of what was called the Long Trail through the Bennington Triangle. And she hadn't had the opportunity to hike it, but she'd heard it about it. People that the people that she had met that when she first started taking up hiking had told her about it. So she decided she wanted to try it and she couldn't find anyone to go with her. So she decided to go by herself. She finished her shift in the dining hall, returned to her room and changed into walking clothes. And this is one weird thing I want to point out. No one ever explained what Mitty Rivers was wearing when he disappeared. With Paula, they said that she was wearing easy-to-spot clothing. She was wearing a red, bright red jacket. Mm. Her clothing was adequate for the weather that afternoon, but not for the anticipated drop in temperature that night. She packed no bag, took no extra clothing, and didn't take any extra money. From all appearances, she did not expect to be gone more than a few hours. Walden walked down the campus driveway Hitched a, hitchhiked a ride to State 67A near the college entrance in North Bennington to a point on State Route 9 near the Furnace Bridge between downtown Bennington and Woodford Hollow. I don't know when I read Hollow, I always think of something haunted. I kind of do too, I guess. Is it just because of like Sleepy Hollow? I don't know. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I would want to live on Woodford Hollow. Um, local contractor Lewis Knapp picked her up and drove her as far as his house on Route 9, which is about 2.5 miles from the Long Trail. So she's going hiking and she's going to walk 2.5 miles to the hiking. That seems really far. 
Yeah. Right? From this point, Weldon either hitchhiked or walked the rest of the way to the start of the long trail in Woodford Hollow. A group of hikers were walking down the trail as Weldon was walking up. She approached them and asked a few questions about the long trail. Then she continued walking in a northerly direction on the road portion of the trail. Now it's known as Harbor Road. Weldon was on the long trail late in the afternoon and darkness was falling as she approached the end of Harbor Road. She may have continued into the quickly darkening woods and it was presumed that she must have continued her long trail walk along the Bowlesbroke Valley, although there are no known conformed sightings of her past the, this camp that she had passed. She never showed up for classes on Monday and her roommate originally thought that she had gone to the library to study for exams, like never, like pulled an all-nighter, I guess. Yeah. But the next morning when she hadn't returned... Once she finally notified the college administrators and they immediately started to search the campus. They had this thing on their campus that if you were leaving campus and you were going to be gone past a certain time, you had to sign in and out. That's smart. I know. It must have been a small college though. Could you imagine doing that at UCLA? Like maybe, maybe leaving your dorm, your dorm building or whatever you could do that. The Bennington County state attorney was notified and the county sheriff was brought in to help search. Over the next couple of days, her visit to the long trail was discovered when one of the hikers that she had approached, the one that that told the story, he identified her from the photo in the newspaper where he actually worked there. Her disappearance launched a massive search party of more than a thousand people and a reward of $5,000. Despite the large turnout and numerous aircraft that was utilized and a variety of assisting law enforcement departments, there was no clue to her fate were ever discovered. Ground and air searches concentrated on the long trail up as far as the Glastonbury Mountains, which was 10 miles to the north. Now, it was already getting dark. She was really going to walk 10 more miles? I mean, yeah, it's that's hard to weird. believe. And yeah. why wasn't she thinking herself, like, the guy that worked for the newspaper said it was already getting dark when he passed her. And they had said something like, hey, you probably don't want to go by yourself or whatever. And she's like, oh, no, I'll be fine. You're like, she should have known. The timing was yeah. I mean, right. even if even if you were a new hiker, you would be like, "Hey, it's getting dark. How yeah. am I going to get out of here?" Not streetlights. Most of those searching assumed that she had gotten lost in the woods. When no clues were found as her whereabouts, other theories started to be considered. Many, including her father, criticized the authorities' lack of sophisticated methods in handling the case, which was actually served as a catalyst for the founding of the Vermont State Police. Seven months later, they didn't even have a state police department. Alternative theory speculated that she had been in unusually high spirits and had decided to run away to start a new life and was going to meet a secret lover and went off with him, that she was on her way to meet someone, or that she had become injured and suffered from amnesia. Other theories speculated that Paula had been depressed and may have committed suicide and she might have been kidnapped or murdered. The thing is, though, the guy that saw her, she didn't seem worried, she didn't seem upset. She just seemed like she was going for a hike. I mean, it's... She could have been going to meet a boyfriend or something, but... But she asked people to go with her earlier that day. Yeah. It's not like that she committed suicide. She wouldn't have asked people to go with her. At the time of... I always count on you to come up with things I didn't think of. Because I hadn't thought about the fact that if she was depressed and was going to commit suicide, she wouldn't have asked people to go with her. No, or if she was meeting someone (laughs) privately, she wouldn't have asked people to go with her. Probably not. You're right. Yeah. See? And that's... Again, you, you did it again. At the time of her disappearance, there was no state police organization in Vermont, and the state's attorney, county sheriff, and state investigator were responsible for the investigation. 
Paulo's father pressed the investigators and the governor to bring additional professional law enforcement help. The governor asked, um, Vermont's governor asked Connecticut's governor to lend assistance. The Connecticut state police and a state policewoman were assigned to the case. They interviewed every person who saw or thought they saw Paula and every person who lived along the route that she took who were simply in the vicinity of the long trail on that December afternoon. Two hitchhikers, elderly hitchhikers, uh, came forward and said that they reported seeing her on the trail approximately 100 yards ahead of them minutes before she disappeared. So the same thing as Mitty Rivers. They claimed that she rounded a corner on the trail, and when they reached the same corner, she was gone. As people speculated about her becoming a wild recluse on the mountain or perhaps fleeing to Canada to marry a boyfriend whose identity she kept secret. Again, I don't think she would have been asking people to go with her if she was going to meet some secret lover. Yeah, I don't think so. Investigators discovered that one of the last people to see Paul alive was a man who lived along Harbor Road. He was in the midst of an argument with his girlfriend when she walked by. The man stormed off in a jealous rage shortly thereafter, and depending on different statements he made, he went to his shack and spent the evening by himself, or he told the police that he drove his truck at the travel portion of the trail where Paula was heading. He lied to the police on several occasions and was a person of interest in 1946 and again in 1952 when the case was revisited. Reportedly, he told at least two people that he knew within 100 feet where Paula was buried, but later claimed that he was just talking. When no evidence was found that a crime had actually been committed and nobody was ever discovered, no forensic clues were ever identified, the investigated ended. And the case remains open today. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites. And Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. She's disappeared. No explanation, no nothing. Yeah. So now there's two people within a year of each other went missing. That are reported. That are reported. Yeah, good. See? Exactly three years after the day that Paula Weldon vanished, the Bennington Triangle saw one of its more supernatural disappearances. A man named James E. Tedford. He was an elderly man. He was born in 1884 in Vermont. They don't know a lot about his early life, and I, I looked him up. I couldn't find a lot. But by 1940, he was a resident in Fletchertown, Franklin, Vermont, with his wife, Pearl, who was age 28, and he was 68. Things started to get strange following his return to Vermont at the end of a second spell of military service at the end of 19- World War II. He returned to find his wife, Pearl, had vanished. No trace of her could be found. Now, this that was reported everywhere, everywhere I looked said that he had returned from World War II and his wife Paula went missing, missing. And so it was so weird that his wife, she doesn't go missing. I looked her up on, I looked them both up on Ancestry. She shows up in census records, married to someone else later. Like, 
She's, she just left. She's a very easy trail to follow. So yeah. I don't know why when they're reporting this story, why anybody's perpetrating a myth that his wife disappeared because it really doesn't help the story or change the story. So I mention it just because if you if you're like me and you're listening to true crime, I always look everybody up and try and find pictures of them or try and see like what happened to them or whatever. Um, she doesn't disappear. She's very clearly in all the in all the records in ancestry. The property they rented in Fletcher time, Town, he claim they claim was left abandoned. Tedford's family claimed no knowledge of the whereabouts of his missing wife, which is what all the reports say, which doesn't make sense. Then um, they said that he, though, was desperate and lonely because his wife had left. She didn't disappear. She left. And he checked into a soldier's home in Bennington sometime around 1947. On December 1st, 1949, he was, his remaining family reported him missing. Police investigations reports show that he boarded a bus in St. Albans a few days earlier, but he had not arrived at his destination. He was on his way home to the retirement home in Bennington from a trip to see family in St. Albans, Vermont. The scheduled bus trip should have taken the best part of eight hours, but heavy snow caused it to delay and the route was passed through the Bennington Triangle. Tedford was seen sitting on the bus by 14 other passengers, all interviewed. All 14 passengers said they saw him. They all testified seeing him sleeping in a seat. When the bus reached its destination, which was after they had gone through the Bennington Triangle, Tedford was gone. The driver and other witnesses all testified that they had not seen him leave the bus. He was seen, seen getting on the bus by multiple witnesses and was still on the bus at the last stop before arriving in Bennington. Somewhere between the last stop and Bennington, he disappeared. Strangely, all his belongings were still in the luggage rack and a local bus timetable laid open on the seat he had been sitting on. What? Just vanished. All 14 people said they saw him sleeping in the bus. Yeah. And then suddenly he was gone. And I wish they would say what he was wearing. And I'm going to tell you why. And I don't know why this matters, but whatever's going on, it wasn't over yet. In October of 1950, eight-year-old Paul Jepson disappeared. Paul's mother had left the boy to play in his in the truck while she tended some pigs on some property that they cared for. And this is the story is told two different ways. That it was their property near Bennington. And then other people say that they tended to pigs on like a dump site that were living on dump site and the mom cared for them. So she drove the truck there. And when she got out to go take care of the pigs, she left the boy in the truck. The boy had been playing happily when she left him and showed no signs of distress. Yet when she returned to check on him a short time later, and she says a short time later, there's some reports say it was up to an hour later. Paul was nowhere to be seen. Authorities converged on the area with bloodhounds in an effort to track the missing boy thinking that he could be located due to the fact that he'd been wearing a highly visible bright red jacket. This is why I'm like obsessed with the red jacket thing. Cause it, it just seems, why aren't they saying what the other people were wearing? I don't know. And I looked and I couldn't find it. There's no sign the boy was turned up at one point during the search. The bloodhounds excitedly followed Paul's scent to a nearby highway where the trail simply stopped, suggesting a possible abduction by a motorist. Hundreds of volunteers gathered to scour the areas, but the missing boy was never found. The father later would give the eerie detail that the boy had recently showed an uncharacteristically strong urge to go up the nearby mountains, almost as if somehow calling him into their clutches. Hmm. Like he just kept telling his daddy, he wanted to go to the mountain, he wanted to go to the mountain. And so, I mean, couldn't he have just gotten on the truck and started wandering? Yeah. But to me, it sounds like he got abducted because the bloodhounds followed him to a highway and then he disappeared. Yeah. He could have even been hit by a car and they hid the body. Could have been anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, 
if someone hit him on the highway, it could have picked him up, threw him in their car. Like they were scared or something. Yeah, I guess. People say he belongs to part of the mountain now. And then two weeks later, after he disappeared, 53-year-old Freda Langer, an experienced hiker and survivalist who was very familiar with the area, went missing on the Somerset area of the Long Trail bordering East Glastonbury. After hiking a brief half mile with her cousin, Herbert Eisner, Langer fell into a stream and set back to their camp to change her clothes. And her husband was at the camp. He was resting because he had hurt his knee. So she left her cousin and went back to go change. But neither her husband nor her cousin saw her again. Helicopters from the Connecticut Coast Guard and the U.S. Army in Massachusetts, as well as local aircraft from Citizens and the Vermont Aeronautics Commission, helped search for her. As many as 400 people, including the Massachusetts National Guard, meticulously searched the surrounding areas, yet found nothing. Six months after she went missing, her body was found near the Somerset Reservoir. Curiously, in an open area that had been searched extensively numerous times in the previous months, because they didn't stop looking for her. The only body that was ever found of the five that disappeared. Yet even with the body, the case saw little resolution. The body had decayed so badly that there was no the cause of death couldn't be determined. And then there was other explanations that her body had decayed, but her clothes hadn't, which I thought that was really weird. And it was just a blurb on a couple different sites of people that are chasing conspiracy theories about the Bennington Triangle. And they said that um, the police department still has her clothing. Her clothing, her clothing didn't match level or even close to level decay of her body, which yeah. that's really odd too. Others believe that the bursts of missing persons between 45 and 50 may have been um, the work of a serial killer, and you tell me what you think. But this year, you, since you're the master of... I wouldn't say that. Of all the crazy. It makes me sound crazy. You are a little crazy. But the sheer lack of evidence to back this up, as well as a variety of the victims' ages and genders. And um, they said it defies the usual patterns of a serial killer. That, what do you think? Yeah, I could see how people think that, but I don't think that explains the people that disappeared right in front of other people. No. And I don't know. It, it really doesn't fit the pattern of someone who, and like, like everybody was so different. Langer was 53 years old. Mitty Rivers was 74. Paula yeah, was a college kid. For I mean, Paula could have disappeared because of that guy that followed her. You know what I mean? Right. They could not all be because of the same thing. No, true. And the little boy could have disappeared. It's just weird that they all disappeared. I, that's why I don't think a serial killer. It doesn't even make sense to yeah. me. Uh, and other, others say that the disappearance, that the disappeared met their demise at the claws of like a mountain lion. But a bobcat, a lynx, but they said that bobcats and lynx are not known to be aggressive to humans. Why wouldn't have like Paula screamed out? Like the people hiking and the old the people that saw her. Right. Like if she was grabbed by an animal, she would have screamed at least. Right. And same with Langer. She was an experienced hiker. Mitty Rivers was carrying a gun. It just that doesn't make sense either. It says um the intriguing mysteries and unexplained events associated with the triangle have caused many to speculate widely about the possibility of paranormal forces at work. A notion that was bolstered by alleged UFO and Bigfoot sightings in the region. And then the first thing we're going to talk about, this is this is sort of creepy. The name they have for the creature they think b- lives in the Bennington Triangle is the Bennington mon- Monster. And they said that since the beginning of the 19th century, there's been numerous sightings of a creature in the Glastonbury area. The eyewitness reports describe the creature 
as looking like Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Isn't Bigfoot and Sasquatch the same thing? I'm not totally sure, but I think some people would say, yeah. According to the BFRO, do you know what that is? Bigfoot Recognition Organization. I have no idea. <laughs> Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. It is a real thing. Oh, I'm sure. No, I totally looked it up. Mm-hmm. It's a website. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that at all. Really? No. There are people that actively look for Bigfoot. Yeah. I don't know why you're surprised by that. I don't know. That's just crazy. Like, I don't know. I'm not surprised by MUFON, which is the search, the mutual whatever for UFOs that we talked about in Mm -hmm. one of our earlier episodes. But this, it's Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. Like, there are so many Bigfoot researchers that they've been able to organize into an organization. Yes. That is so crazy Not shocking to me at all. They're, like, I can't even. But I looked it up, and I looked, and there's been numerous, it's crazy, you should go on the website. They have, like, little tags and stuff where all the different sightings are. And there's been um, a number of Bigfoot sightings in Vermont over the years. And I don't know if they're confusing this Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever yeah with the bennington monster or the bennington monster is sort of a supernatural thing so i'm a little confused because all the places that i read about it in the book and stuff they they almost combine the two where i think to me it's two separate entities like there's a bigfoot and then there's a bennington monster right because the bennington monster has an entire story behind it which i'm going to tell you now during the um early part of the 20th century there were women that would report that they would see a wild man and they would come up behind him, open his coat and expose himself and then wave a weapon around and then disappear again. And people think that it was someone who lived in the mountains. So I think the story of Bigfoot is separate from the wild man or the monster of Bennington. I think the monster of Bennington is probably the man that they think lives in the mountains that would frighten women and come up behind him on the street and flash him and stuff like that. They said that he wasn't like clean. He didn't live in someone's house. Like, and he would disappear back into the woods again. And they, they all tied it to a gentleman um, who was named Henry McDowell. He had murdered another man by beating him in the skull with a rock and he fled Vermont and then finally turned himself into the police and they put him in the Vermont state asylum, which is a real place. And he escaped and they think that he went back to the back there and lived in the mountain area, like survived living out there in the wild by himself. And so I think he's the Bennington. Like I think that's the Bennington monster. And then there were sightings of Bigfoot. There's a story that a stagecoach way back when was full of passengers, was traveling near the Glastonbury area, and the driver was forced to stop because the road was washed out. The driver noticed a large footprint in the mud, which didn't appear to be human. And a creature jumped out of the woods and knocked the coach over with several blows. The passengers um, report seeing a pair of eyes staring at them from the darkness. And then they heard a roar and a rush off into the forest. So I think these are two separate stories, don't you think? The Bennington monster is sort of like a supernatural thing. Is the wild man, but supposedly he's survived for the last 120 years. It's they still tell stories of the wild man. Seems all very confusing to me. I don't think these people even know what their own legend is. That they're saying Well, one of the legends is a Bennington monster, which I don't I mean maybe Which is a crazy person that lived longer than it's supposed to. I don't necessarily think that's 
Right. And then I think the Bigfoot thing is a whole separate thing. Yeah. And that's everywhere. Um, there was a recent sighting in 2003 by a gentleman that was driving by Glastonbury Mountain when he saw a large black thing by the road. He described it as a large black thing, quote unquote. It was well over six feet tall and was hairy from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And there were several other sightings reported to uh, the BFRO, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, around the same time that this gentleman saw the big black thing by the road in 2003. So I, I think I'm confused. They, people think that these disappearances have something to do with the Bennington monster. Monster. Or Bigfoot. Or Bigfoot. Well, I think a lot of people are combining the two. But yeah, I think people are blaming the disappearance on that. They tried to blame it on a serial killer and it doesn't really pan out to kind of make sense. I mean, none of it makes sense. The people in just, all actuality. No, it doesn't. In all in all, when trying to tie the disappearances together in hopes of discovering like the answer to the mysteries, there's so little to go on. The similarities between the well-documented cases of the missing people, the five that went missing, um, the only thing that was pretty much the same was that they disappeared around the same time, or they were last seen around the same time. Every time was between three and four, um, and the time of year. Most were last seen the final three months of the year. I think the fact that they're in red plays into it. If you're gonna, if you're gonna believe the paranormal or the, and if you're gonna assume that the other people were wearing red, we only know that two people. We were only know that two red. people were wearing red. But what I'm saying is, if you're gonna tie it into paranormal or Bigfoot or anything else, I think the red might be significant. Maybe. I would like to know what Mitty Rivers was wearing or Langer was wearing or the guy in the bus just doesn't make sense. That's the most. Yeah, that's crazy. That, like, how did he just? Is that that literally sounds like the Bermuda Triangle? I know. I was gonna say that's where sounds planes similar. disappear. Yeah. Uh, paranormal theories, considering the case, have taken hold. They say that um, for those interested in the paranormal, theories dovetail with others. In more recent odd occurrences in Bennington, Bennington Triangle area, the occurrences that they report now is that there's terrifying voices allegedly showing up on dead air radio. Sightings of mysterious figures, unexplained navigation mishaps, and planes that mysteriously crashed. Now, quite a few websites I went to refer to planes mysteriously crashing, but I can't find any record of any planes that actually crashed in the area. And I searched all the newspaper things, and if a plane crashed into like, you near, would know. Yeah, it would be in the paper. Yeah, I mean, I mean, could miss something, but I just don't think it would be. I don't know. I just, there's no credible sources that say that planes disappeared. One thing, though, that people say was that the Glastonbury area was avoided, this is from historians, was avoided by the Native Americans except to bury their dead. They specifically include the Algonquin, the Mohegan, and Mimic tribal populations who had lived in and around the Bennington Triangle area that they wouldn't go. They, they believe that area was full of bad juju. But they buried their dead there. So I don't know that. I mean, why would they do that? Why would they? I don't know a lot about the Native yeah, American I, history. So um, one of the reasons I found on a website was because of, that the Indians didn't like the area because of the wind in the area, which I could see this being, a, this makes sense to me. Indians may have avoided it because of the convergence of the four winds. In, in most places, the wind is blowing, and we know this by driving down our street. You know how all the trees lean the same way? Mm hmm because um, the wind blows that way. But in the Glastonbury area, the convergence of the four winds, there's no, I don't know how to explain it. There's no vegetation slant or shape 
of ice flows like that goes, yeah, yeah, it doesn't do the pattern. same thing. It goes all over the place. Right. So that the Indians didn't like that area. But I, why would they bury their dead there then? I don't know. They say that there's no, because of the wind pattern, there's no natural markers. And hikers and hunters in the modern area have corroborated that Glastonbury is extremely easy to get lost on. Right. So did all these people get lost? I don't know. The other theory besides the Bennington monster and Bigfoot and bobcats is UFO sightings are a particular significance in the area. They People who believe that UFOs are involved say that the six Bennington Triangle disappearance were actually alien abductions. Mm-hmm. You, <laughs> that's the one you agree with? Not necessarily agree with because I don't necessarily know if I believe that aliens exist, but for some reason in you're my head, it seems so much more plausible. You're like, oh, nope, not serial killer. Nope, not Bennington Monster. Nope, not Bigfoot. Oh, UFO? Yeah, that was probably it. I don't mean like, yes, that's what it is. And that's why I'm betting all my money on the UFOs. But I'm just saying. (laughs) Well, wait, you might might actually be leaning more towards it now. There's numerous witnesses who have reported seeing column or silo-like lights while hiking in the wilderness of the Bennington Triangle. In um, July of 2018, just really recently, a triangle-shaped UFO was spotted moving slowly across the sky at a low altitude. It was very dark in color, so it was hard to see. It was witnessed by at least seven different people total. They all reported that it looked like three lights in a triangle formation. It was first thought to be three different objects, but soon noticed that it was one very large object that was hard to see. The witnesses said the UFO was probably a few miles away, and it hovered like a helicopter, but it was much, much larger. It slowly moved across the sky and out of sight. The witnesses said it didn't last very long and was gone after about 30 seconds. That one seems like the most plausible to you? Kind of. <laughs> I don't want to sound like there's, an actual lunatic, but kind of. There's another theory they say, um, and I'm not even going to give this much credence, but there's a stone on Glossabury Mountain that the Native Americans warned people away from. They say that if you stood on the stone, the stone would basically suck you up. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense that all these people just, you know, accidentally stepped on the same stone. Yeah. So it doesn't really make sense to me. Other people say that it's the paranormal part. It's that there's, um, because of the wind, the the convergence of the winds, it's created a sort of thin veil where uh, between our universe and millions of others and that they just simply stepped through a veil. Also, crazy theory, but I mean, there's stories like that in other places. So we have five disappearances, which they say that there were many, many more that just weren't publicized like those five were. And there was no state police. There's no ranger thing for someone. They didn't start keeping track of it until 1945. Yeah. So, I mean, people could have disappeared way before that. Mm -hmm. They do know that the Indians were there and believe that the area was cursed. Historians say that. So they say the area is is cursed by either the Bennington Monster, the, so let's go through them all. The Bennington Monster, Bigfoot, paranormal that the veil is very thin because of the convergence of the winds, alien abductions, with Hay, which is the one that Haley's going to lean towards. Yeah. Or a rock that sucks you up. Yeah. So. All crazy. All of it. It's still, these people all disappeared. It's sad. But there hasn't been current 
disappearances? Um, not current disappearances, no, but current, current, well, UFO sightings. Current <laughs> UFO, yeah. See. <laughs> Whether the disappearances in the Bennington Triangle are the work of an alien encounter, an undead wild man, Bigfoot, a human swallowing rock, or just victims of circumstance, chances are we may never know. Whatever secrets lay inside the Bennington Triangle will be forever locked away in what remains of the town of Glastonbury. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so please be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Also, you can join our Patreon site for exclusive content, upcoming contests, and information only available to our Patreon members. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all the social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites. And Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.